to episode 77 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Kayla. And I'm Andre. And today we continue the journey to find out what exactly happened to Zuko's mom in part two of the Search comic series. Now, as usual, here's our big spoiler disclaimer. We have spoilers for Atla, Legend of Korra, both Kyoshi novels, and the following Avatar comic books, including Katara and the Pirate Silver, Suki Alone, and The Promise. Before we get started, how are we doing today? <laughs> oh, tired after reading that. No. Um, I- I'm winded. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a challenge. Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, it seems that both of us had a pretty trying week. We were just talking about that before we pressed a cord. I'm just like, it just, yeah. is it like we were making some joke about Mercury being in Gatorade this week or something? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, bl- I blame the fact that we had a new moon. Those usually are... Ex- extremely stressful for me. I don't know why, but hmm. yeah, moving is also slowly coming along. Uh, That's exciting. We got we got some stuff this past weekend for the apartment, which has been fun. That's awesome. We're still trying to come up with a plan on how we want to move and when we want to move because our move-in day is on a Tuesday and obviously me and Chris are both working so we can't just like, and we can't like necessarily not work or take off or anything Mm -hmm. but we also have to like you know time when we can get the u-haul and i have to go to a completely different house to grab other things like a bed um and we have to like you know try to find times that work for people that's gonna that are gonna help us move because we can't carry like a queen-size mattress like up a flight of stairs so yeah just the two of us so it's been a lot and i just want to move in already i'm just like (laughs) I'm tired of it. I think Chris said he was going to start packing stuff up like this weekend. And I'm like, you go ahead and do it. I'm <sighs> and <am> still <laughs> adjusting. Yeah. But yeah. Otherwise, it's it's been pretty good. How about you, Kayla? Um, this week's been mostly consumed by doing a lot of travel for work and filming um, and also consumed by the fucking stress of homework. I have finished two of my classes for the semester, so that means I only have two more left and I graduate with my master's. So, you know, at least there's Lovely. that. Raise the roof, woohoo, all that exciting stuff. But thank God that was over. It's like that scene from Rick and Morty when like Rick and Morty like they land and suddenly they just start like, you know, free, just crying after like this just a stressful situation that they're in and just like, <laughs> I can't fucking do this anymore. That that was me as soon as I hit send on my presentation. Um but hey it's over I have a cool video editing, uh, video production class that I have next half of the semester. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so there's some fun things on the horizon. I'm applying to one of the apartments I looked at last time. So, you know, I'm also gradually, I'm like a few steps behind you in the move out process myself. But mm-hmm. now that's the next big stressor in my life is yeah. the application process and budgeting and ugh, adult stuff. <laughs> yeah. So boring adult stuff. Lots of lots of big stuff happening in both of our lives. That's exciting, though. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, So we didn't have any big Avatar news uh, this past week. So we're actually just going to go ahead and get into the recap. Let's do it. A lot of things happened this part. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we're going to start the search part two. So we pick up the morning after Zuko took the letter from Azula um, that basically reveals that he is actually not Ozai's son. And Azula is woken up by the ghost of her mother who tells her that she has to give up on her quest and realize her true destiny. And especially in this particular chunk of the comic, there's a lot of allusions to what Azula's true destiny actually is. I don't know if it's too early to kind of speculate, but do you have some sort of idea where... 
like the story is kind of pointing in terms of like a destiny for Azula? I have no idea, honestly. I I'm kind of just going to just sit along and watch it happen. I have no predictions whatsoever. I'm kind of just like I don't know what to do. Like I mean, I don't know what should be done with Azula's character once this quest is finished, you know? Like I don't have I don't have an answer for that. I'm kind of just like yeah, what is what does you know, I, we know what she wants, you know, but we don't we don't know what she actually going to you know what she needs, what she wants to end, where she's going to end up. I should say, not what she wants to end up. She, we know where she wants to end up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I also don't know either, but I do appreciate that there's a kind of a role reversal here. Of you know, during the show, Azula very much knew her destiny while Zuko was trying to figure his own out, and now it's like kind of reversed. But now there's a big question mark on the legitimacy of Zuko's you know, position as Fire Lord, because if he's not technically Ozai's son, then he's technically an illegitimate Fire Lord, which I didn't even pick up on last week when that was revealed. No, I, was I didn't like, even I didn't think, think about that. I didn't I just... think of the implications of that. I was more so, you know, I don't know about you, but I was more so thinking about like, well, that I under, I mean, there's plenty of reasons explained in the show without this knowledge of why Ozai kind of hates Zuko, but now we yeah. have a whole other layer to that hatred, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. What were you saying about that with that? No, I was just, I was just saying that I was just so caught up on like what it means for like his character that I didn't even realize like the <laughs> the real the, world, the the, the, the real yeah, quote unquote <laughs> real world implications of what this means. Um, and Azula tells her the ghost of Ursa that she has proof that she is the rightful heir and I think this when Ursa says her true destiny that's what Azula believes it is um and in reality she's actually talking to Katara and at one point she like grabs her arm and Sokka attacks her and that's when she realizes that the letter is missing from her boot and she demands to know where Zuko has gone and he's off somewhere else with Aang you know, discussing the letter that he stole from her. And he believes that the letter confirms he is not actually Ozai's son, which makes sense as Ozai had no qualms about banishing him and was going to kill him the night before Ursa left the palace. Zuko theorizes that it was his mother who kept Ozai from taking his life, and Aang points out that if he's not Ozai's son, no one else but Azula may be the rightful heir. So... Yeah. Yeah. That's a big question mark. I mean, what... Would Iroh have any sort of legitimate claim to the throne? I guess. I, I, don't I know, know he like abstained or whatever, but is that like permanent? Like you can't like take that back. I don't know how the Fire Nation royal family or lineage works. It it just sounds like a whole lot of fucked up. How's that? That's yeah. What, that, 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 that's, that's all you need to know about, you know, Fire Nation lineage. Fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Iroh's too busy, you know, making boba tea a thing and <laughs> instating national it's food a, day. It's a, it's a noble cause. <laughs> yeah. So uh, suddenly Azula comes up from behind and she's slipping back into her paranoia. And it, she does, again, that thing of like accusing her mother of telling Zuko to steal the letter from her. And she ends up attacking them. Um, but this is cut off with another flashback, uh, one of many in this chunk of the chapter, uh, the chunk of the book, um, where a young Zuko tells his mother that Azula is burning a flower in the garden. And in her defense, the flower was not as pretty as the others. And she fire at Zuko for, you know, tattletailing on her. Ursa orders her daughter to her room and comforts Zuko, who wonders why she must be so mean. From afar, Ozai witnesses this and, having read the letter, believes Ursa may be favoring Zuko because he's the son of Ikem. Ozai meets with, I'm going to say, Vakir. 
That's my guess of how you pronounce that. That looks like it, yeah. Vakir of the Yuyan archers ordering him to kill Zuko's supposed father at the village of Hira. Um, and if you remember, these are the archers that we see in the Blue Spirit episode in uh, season one of Avatar. Back in the present, Aang leaves the battle to check on Sokka and Katara while Zuko insists that he will handle Zuko, uh, Azula alone. She eventually retrieves the letter from him, but before she can run away, Zuko asks her why their relationship has, has always been so volatile. And she suddenly stops, noticing that Zuko has not yet even burned the letter, which would have left her without evidence to prove that Zuko was not an heir to the throne at all and questions whether he's actually on her side. Zuko shrugs it off and pleads that they work together to find their mom. Um, so yeah, this is interesting that Zuko isn't necessarily jumping at the chance to kind of destroy this evidence uh, that he does not have a rightful claim, which is not really all that surprising given like his like renewed sense of integrity, you know, once he has become Fire Lord. Like, and I think the last thing he wants is an illegitimate Fire Lord. But I think there's also kind of an element of like, this could be my way out because we know from the promise, at least, that it the the crown has taken like a heavy toll on him and it's a very, you know, stressful position for him. And maybe he may be seeing this as a way out. Yeah. You know? That's what I was thinking too with yeah. that moment and that decision. Once Sokka and Katara arrive back at the campsite, Zuko tells Aang that they have come to an understanding and that they will not be fighting anymore. Sokka is skeptical, rightfully so mentioning now that, mentioning how that they have said this before and that she will surely turn and fight them again. And in the end, the team gets on Appa and begins to fly the rest of the way to Hira. And we're back in another flashback with Ozai, Ursa, and their children. Um, they're sitting around at the dinner table and Azula is discussing with her father that her firebending teacher, Kunio, which we met in The Promise, um, is a dumb master, which in my mind, I just hear dumb bastard, but... <laughs> Wait, who is he? Who is who is he again? He was the the guy that showed up to Toph's Metal Bending Academy, I think, right? Oh, okay. I yeah, I forget names so easily. Uh, I think that was. I'm pretty sure that was him. Oh my god, you have such a better memory than I do. <laughs> yeah. So Azula tells Ozai that she thinks Kunio is a dumb bat. Du there you go. <laughs> dumb master. Please I mean, she that. might as well have. Please keep. Please keep that in the show with that <laughs> slip up of dumb bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ozai tells her that he will send him to the colonies when he gets the chance because Azula was like he was telling me that I was waving my arms too much and and Ozai's like well I'll just I guess I'll just banish him it's also like the, it, it kind of reminds me of like you know I have never done anything wrong ever in my life yeah <laughs> when Zuko uh, attempts to defend Kunio's firebending training Ozai becomes extremely angry and he scolds his son for his own inexperience in bending and he even admits that when he was born he was unsure if Zuko was even a bender to begin with and would have been content with removing him from the palace if Ursa and the fire sages had not persuaded him to wait Jesus. she was born she was born lucky Ozai says of Azula you were lucky to be born Jesus. which it connects back to that scene in the cave at the end of season one mm -hmm. and it's it, it was kind of in this moment where, like, you know, we talk a lot about how, like, Azula was emotionally manipulated and suffered emotional abuse at the hands of Ozai. And I think because Ozai, like, did something so terrible to Zuko physically, we almost overlook the emotional abuse that Zuko also 
kind suffered. of suffered. And this obviously was something that stuck with him if he tells it to Aang in the show, you know? Yeah. And he believes it. So... <sighs> just breaks yeah. my heart it just it's just it all this stuff just 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 takes my little heart and just with it yeah yeah but i i, I like it because it's a nice touch that you know connects it back to the source material yeah no i so, get it and like I in mean, a narrative you know, sense it, it, i love it but yeah it is but, but on, this, but on this on the like, it's it, honestly when it comes to going through the like the avatar media and like honestly just as people who critique you know who like recap and critique and things like that and analyze um this form of media like mm. it's there's two different aspects of it that go into every recap yeah. that we're doing we have the the fan side of things who gets you know who like gets super emotionally invested and sad and like you know or ridiculously happy as a fan and then there's like the more analytical side of things is like oh yeah this is super, this makes sense narratively and things like that it's just like a constant like <laughs> yeah. putting heads of the two things when yeah, we talk definitely. about this so i want to just want to point that out real quick <laughs> Yeah. Um, so later on, Ozai meets with uh, Vakir and tells him that although the locals of Hira knew that the man had retreated into a nearby forest years earlier, Vakir scoured the valley for months without finding Ikem. He details how the forest itself is a predator that attacks those who enter it, believing Ikem to have died without the need for an assassin. Ozai does not accept this and despite you know vakir's pleading he orders him to go back to the stronghold where he is to tender his resignation from the archers where he no longer belongs later on in the royal palace ozai scolds ursa and tells her that any communication between her and anyone of her old life is treason since he told her that she would have no more contact with them Ursa claims that she knew that he had been inter intercepting her letters, and Ozai tells Ursa that proof of her treason is living within the palace, referring to Zuko, who he believes to be Ikem's son. Although Ozai assures his wife that Zuko may remain in the palace, he tells her that Ikem deserved the fate that befell him. Ursa asks what he had done, and Ozai lies to her and tells her that Ikem has been killed by his command. So, a very intense conversation between the two of them. And we're back in the present again. The gang has landed just outside of Hira, and in disguise, Katara asks why the village is considered a small town if it's so crowded, but they quickly see that a play is going on and joins the audience. Upon realizing the troupe is performing Love Amongst the Dragons, Zuko and Azula reminisce of their days of watching the same play with their mother and reenacting the final scene afterward, Zuko always being the evil water spirit, and Azula, of course, taking the role of Dragon Emperor. Um, as the crowd begins to disperse at the end of the play, Zuko asks around if anyone recognizes the name Ursa, and the man who played the water spirit comes from behind and takes off his mask, introducing himself as Norin and inviting them to come to his home where they can discuss things privately. So they go to his house and Aang and Katara meet his wife Noriko, who is, you know, talking to them about love lives and everything, and there's a mention of, like, marriage and uh, it gets like a little awkward between Katara and Aang because they're like, well, we're not, you know, we don't have, we're, we haven't thought, we're what, like, like well, we're like, you know, like 13 yeah. and 14 years old. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, meanwhile, their daughter Kai asks, asks Zuko and Azula if they would like to meet her doll, to which Zuko agrees, uh, sweetly, despite Azula's annoyance. She, uh, like, like, she talks like you know like she says like yeah I tried to give my doll a haircut but it didn't quite work out and then Azula's like well I used to give mine head cut <laughs> it's one yeah. try like 
Explained a lot. He was like, this is an appropriate response to a child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Norin and Noriko tell the others about Ursa, and uh, they tell her that she was once a famous member of their acting troupe before she was taken from the village to the Fire Nation capital on official business, quote-unquote. And the general rumor in the town was that she ended up being married into the royal family. And when Zuko asks about Ikem, they tell him that he fled into Forgetful Valley after Ursa left. Um, And there's another rumor that Ursa came back years later and went into the Forgetful Valley to look for her lost love. Norn worries that if this is true, both of them may not have survived. Meanwhile, later on, after they've left, Aang apologizes to Zuko for exploding that morning over the letter, as he does not know what Zuko must be going through. Even so, they should not continue to search for Ikem for the fact that learning his whereabouts could be a detriment to his nation. And although Aang wants to burn the letter at their next chance, Zuko reveals that he returned the letter to Azula earlier, promising him that the number one priority right now is to find his mother, and he can figure out who he is supposed to be later on. And Aang doesn't accept this because he tells Zuko that when his fire, when the Fire Nation citizens bow to him in the throne room, they bow to what he represents, not to just him. Um, and Zuko confides that there is one place left to visit, Forgetful Valley. So Aang is, I mean, rightfully concerned because you know this is a this revelation that Zuko is not the rightful Fire Lord. It puts a huge question mark in terms of you know the the reconstruction era of the war you know mm-hmm. like things are still a little unstable and they're trying to bring everything back and this could like really set them back possibly into another war so i mean the stakes are really high but zuko is not it doesn't seem like he's like really thinking about it too much like no he just wants to focus on finding his mother and he's like i'll figure everything out later so but before we go on, we're going to take a quick break and we will see you guys for part two of part two, The Search. We'll see you guys then. Hey everyone, Andre here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check to make sure you are following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider leaving us a review and some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. And we're back with part two of part two of the search. So we flash back to before Ursa's banishment, where the flashbacks for Zuko alone uh, took place. Ursa pulls Azula aside as she finds her arguments with Zuko after the whole dad's going to kill you part of the flashback. Uh, Azula spills what happened in the throne room that Ozai was going to have to kill Zuko on Azulon's orders. Ursa then confronts Ozai about this, and he says that he'll make it a quick and painless death for Zuko when he's asleep. Jesus. Um, But like she said to Zuko before in that episode, mothers will do anything to protect their kids. So she makes a deal with Ozai. She'll make an undetectable poison that Ozai can do whatever he wishes with. He likes this deal, but on one condition. She must leave the capital and never show her face again because it's only a matter of time before an undetectable poison is used against the new Fire Lord. She then tries to get her children in this deal, but Ozai says that Azula and Zuko are his collateral. His, his assurance that she'll uphold her end of the deal, essentially. If she tries to stay or take them with her, he will hunt them down and kill them just like he did with her boyfriend <laughs> or fiance, technically. Yeah. So this brought me back to Zuko alone, obviously, because this flashback takes place during that flashback, flashback, you know, within a flashback. I don't know. Um, 
So I re-listened to our thoughts on what we thought Ursa did before she ran off in the Zuko Alone recap. Um, and so at uh, the 15 minute mark ish, uh, we talked. You mentioned how like Ozai said that um, Ozai said that he that she had done treasonous, terrible things, and he said, and then you theorized that. Um, we'll decide when we get to the search of what she did was treasonous or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we did we did theorize that, uh, like our theory was that Ursa killed Azulon and the answer here was kind of yes and no in this, uh, confirmed in this part of the comic book. Like she mm-hmm. essentially provided the tool and told him to do what he wanted, what he wished with it. So she had a part to play in it, but I think she was more so banished because of what she knows and she, the fact that she could have used that against Ozai, you know, I think that seems to be more the bigger reason for the banishment than just the fact that she had a part to play in killing. Yeah. The current I don't fire know. Lord. I don't know if like, I mean, she definitely had the right reasons, but it just reminds me of the, that Brooklyn nine, nine scene where he's like, cool motive, still, still murder. murder. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Like so, I mean, yeah, she didn't do the actual killing, but she did make. Give the, the I don't tool. know. She made I the don't... tool that killed. You know. Oh, I need to ask my sister because she's a criminal justice major, and she she would know. <laughs> um, we'll follow up. We'll, we'll follow up with this next week. <laughs> actually, you know what? No, I'm gonna call her right now. Oh my god. <laughs> she's watched. She's watched all of Avatar. I'm assuming, right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I can't find her name because I her name is Katya on my phone. Hello? Hey. You're on the podcast. You're on the podcast right now. Oh my god, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have a question for you, a criminal justice question. So, if so, let's say I'm trying not to spoil spoil you for the Avatar comics, but let's say there's like a couple, and one of them makes a poison so that the other one can use it to kill someone. Does the person right. who make the po- who made the poison are they like liable for the murder? Yes. If it if it can be proven, yes. But they might get um less of a sentence. Got it. But see it's complicated because that can be considered premeditated, which is first degree murder. Uh-huh. That's the difference between first degree and second degree is if it was premeditated. So yeah, it would honestly depend on that but yes they would still be liable for murder so they wouldn't be innocent basically no got it okay unless in trial they can like somehow prove that they had nothing to do with it which happens a lot interesting okay well thank you for clearing that up yeah Yeah. no problem all right thank you sophia thanks sophia no problem have a good one sweetie okay bye oh bye you hear to hear, folks. She did commit treason. Surprise! <laughs> Surprise guest appearance from my I sister love it. Sophia. I love it. So yeah, so she is, I guess, technically liable if we're going by like U.S. criminal justice we're- laws. <laughs> I love that we did that. That's the thing. This is not the best thing that's happened on the podcast. Period. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So yeah. So I guess she would technically be committing treason. Um, I don't know if like Ozai earlier on being like, I told you you couldn't have contact with your family and you did, so that's treason. Like, mm-hmm. I don't 
know technically like is it just because like he said it so if you go against it it's treason I don't know. Well, he, did he say, wasn't like, Fire Lord you know, yet. So. But he also did say that, like, he, I mean, well, I mean, it's not the exact situation, but, you know, he did say, like, I can't go against an order from the Fire Lord to kill my own kid. So he did say that, like, a minute Well, or two yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, they, they, got a, they got a whole different... They, yeah, they, go, they operate on different rules than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a big question mark after the word treason for them. So I don't yep. really know. Um, um, so I think we've settled the question a little bit there. <laughs> or are we just yeah. asking more questions out of it? <laughs> I mean, the I mean that there is a revelation here in that Ursa wasn't the actually one who killed Ozulan, but she did come up with the means. So yeah, okay, that's a little bit of of revelation in its own right. Yeah, absolutely. So that night, Ursa makes the poison and gives it to Ozai and quietly says goodbye to her children as they sleep. We then get the comic depiction of the moment in Zuko's memory of the last time he saw her. So back in the present, the gang and Azula arrive in the Forgetful Valley. We know that because it's a sign on the tree. Like, there's this whole joke about like, you know, how do you know we're already here? There's a sign right there. I don't know. Again, I just love the humor keeping up with the show as well. Um, Aang detects another spirit's presence in the forest as his face contorts into a weird different expression than the wolf. Uh, so Sokka then notices that their face is everywhere in the forest, from the leaves to the squirrel toads to the tree bark to even the flutter bats. Aang then chases after the flutter bat, which leads into a pool of water. The rest then follow behind Aang, and he observes the pool feels familiar and calm to him, like the pool in the Northern Water Tribe, where mm-hmm. the uh, the moon and the ocean spirits were swimming. Uh, he then tells the group to be respectful of the spiritual area, and then Azula sees her mother's reflection in the water and attacks the water, so <laughs> immediately undercuts that. Uh and then attacks Aang. And then Guitar and Zuko try to break up the fight. And then all of a sudden, they get attacked by uh, somebody with these uh, frozen flowers, essentially. Weaponized flowers. Never, mm-hmm. I don't think I've seen that in Avatar yet. Nope. Uh, we've seen weaponized vines, which we do see in this scene. Um, Guitar notices that they have been frozen and that someone is bending the water within the plants in the jungle to attack them. And we have this really cool Katara moment where she takes this deep breath and moves with the flow of the water in the vines. And just the way that this panel is drawn, like I can just imagine this moment happening in animation of like Mm -hmm. the music going from like this chaotic fight music to like quieting in the background. She takes this deep breath and turns the tide of this fight back into her favor. Like I just always love it when they show off in Avatar Media, like how much she's grown as a waterbender uh, and like just... The bending from the show it must have been a challenge to translate that from fluid animation to stillness in comic panels, but it really yeah. does translate well to the page. Um, you know, I mean, like, it, like they, any time that we've seen bending in Avatar media that hasn't been animated or, you know, in the TV show, like in whether it's print books, like reading a novel of Mikiyoshi novels or seeing it. Uh, drawn on the page for the mm-hmm. comics. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, she then manipulates the vines, turns the tide back in her favor, and she calls out the attackers, whoever they are. Shortly after this, an elderly woman in a mask wearing man in water tribe garb show themselves. Flashback to Ursa, who's returned home to her village for the first time in years. She then asks a young girl where her parents are, but they've since passed away. Norin, the man who invited the gang and Azula into his home, finds her crying on the stage. After after some small talk, he realizes that she is Ursa. Instead of of letting her cry alone some more, he invites her into his home. Uh, 
The woman and flashback to the gang in the present. The woman who attacked them, Misu, apologizes for attacking as she and her brother are not used to human visitors in this area, and she was worried that the pond was being disturbed. They all sit together and eat, and Katara asks what brought two Northern Water Tribe members to the Fire Nation, and from there we get their backstory. She and her brother Rafa grew up as polar opposites. She was studious and responsible, and he wasn't. He got into the bad habit of stealing from people, and one day he stole from the wrong person, or the wrong thing, based off of what happened to him. She found him outside, alone, with his face horribly disfigured. He was injured enough that not even the best healers in the water tribe could help him, and he now exists between life and death, not doing much, and not even eating. So she took matters into her own hands and studied up, learning of a powerful spirit that would occasionally visit a Fire Nation forest and had the power to give people new faces. It's since been her life's mission to heal him, even going against the laws of the tribe and learning combat waterbending. Mm-hmm. We get this moment where Aang's like, oh, you're spending your life healing your brother. Like, wow, it's just a really sweet sibling relationship. And then Katara and Sokka are like, yeah, I totally, you know, basically, like, yeah, I totally do the same for you. And then like Azula and Zuko don't even look at each other, which just says all you need to know about them. Even before, like, even if you didn't know all the other stuff that happened yeah. before this between uh, Zuko and Azula, that says everything. <laughs> I hate that it made me laugh, but it did. After this, Azula then asks if they know anything about Ursa's whereabouts, but Misu tells her that everything was quiet until they arrived. Although the animals and trees are showing signs of the spirit's presence because, as Sokka had pointed out before, they are faces on their bodies. And they don't seem to be at the right spot for the spirit to appear because neither the wolf spirit or the face-giving spirit have arrived. Mm. So Aang decides to enter the spirit world to contact the wolf spirit himself. And Azula storms off because these vagrants aren't helpful in their search for Ursa. She then has another breakdown believing that her mother had sent them to slow her down. She then fires lightning at Misu as Aang arrives in the spirit world. So not get to see what happens next real quick. But... Aang then meets the flutter bat again, which tells Aang to come with it and he will and he'll lead the avatar to what he seeks. He then sees the wolf and tries to get it to drink from the pool where Misu and Rafa are, but it's not helping. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Wolf does what it wants. As the wolf goes to leave, he grabs the wolf's fur and rides it. And then apparently that kind of pissed off a big ass spirit because a voice rings out demanding to know why he's riding this wolf spirit like some beast of burden. Aang then introduces himself as the Avatar and asks the voice who they are. The spirit then introduces herself as the mother of faces. And she's got this like, you know, she's like obviously a bunch of faces floating around her and Mm -hmm. this like, you know, this tree-like body, like... It's a really cool design for a spirit, I will say. It it is a really cool design, but it's like, unfortunately, like, spoiled because it's literally on the back of the cover... (laughs) Yeah, but like so I was like, <laughs> I didn't feel like it was spoiled for that. Maybe I just didn't read the back cover, <laughs> but you know, yeah. I mean, just maybe just finally seeing it like the full scale of it with like mm. the faces floating around it and things like that. So we've met the mother of faces. Um, I mean, I don't know if I can call it a prediction or a headcanon, but like she's got to have something to do with Ko. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Misa does, she says that she does the opposite. She gives people spaces instead of stealing them. So they got to have some kind of connection. There's no way. I'm <laughs> going to, I'm going to make my own prediction and say that, uh, I, that this spirit, I think it's safe, almost safe to assume that this spirit gave 
Ikem and Ursa new faces. I agree. I was gonna so point- they could kind of like blend in and not, you know, be like caught by Ozai if they ever decide to like, you know, send something, send someone to kill them. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that I think that is a pretty sound theory right there. Yeah. And that ends our recap for today of part two of the search. Uh, got anything else to talk about with what happened today? Nope. 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 All right. Well, let's move on over to our fandom corner. So I sent this to Andre thinking, uh, you know, exactly. I've just a lot of the conversations we've had while on the podcast. <laughs> uh the whole foil situation has come back again. Uh, so this is, comes from a tweet that's called, uh, let's try it again. Uh, this is a screenshot of a tweet. Uh, it's from the username at no dopamine, which phenomenal <laughs> username, if I do say so myself. So it says, uh, Katara and Azula are character foils. They're both 14-year-old powerful benders, except Katara was raised with the love Azula never got. That's what makes the Agni Kai scene so poetic. Azula basically lost to a better version of herself. And then it has, like, girl at the bar. I think I see my friends. <laughs> <laughs> this has that uh, the same energy as, like, putting the breadsticks in my purse. Like, <laughs> I gotta <does>. go. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I feel like this is a pretty good time to bring up Azula. Uh have an Azula-centric uh, fandom corner for this week. Yeah, definitely. Um, I got nothing else to add about that. I know we've talked a little bit about Azula and Katara's parallels between them. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. And I didn't even think, however, this does bring up a point that I didn't even think about with Azula basically losing to a better version of herself. Did not even think of that at all uh, mm. with that kind of implication. So that did brings a new fresh perspective. And of course the punchline of the whole post is just excellent. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So let's move on to recommendations. Kayla, what do you recommend this week? All right. Well, I recommend this week, this book called, uh, I am going to butcher the first word, but I'm going to try. It's a Keith and Kin, um, by Marie Nykamp, which is a critical role book. It takes place in the critical role universe. Um, so if you, even if you've heard of like the legend, I recommend the legend of Vox Machina last week, which is a mm-hmm. Netflix and uh, not Netflix, Amazon prime show based off of the first campaign of critical role, bunch of nerdy voice actors come together and play Dungeons and Dragons, really fun time. But this takes place in that universe and it focuses on the two, uh, two of the characters from the first campaign, uh, Vax and Vex, they're twins and kind of exploring their relationship and what they were up to before they met the rest of the members of Vox Machina, get delving a little bit more into their backstory that we didn't get to see in, um, you know, the legend of Vox Machina. Um, I haven't seen campaign one yet, so Maybe they did do some more backstory stuff, but I am really enjoying it. I'm almost done. And uh, especially seeing how close they are in the show and just knowing how um, what I know about their relationship from just reading about the campaign. Um, it's really interesting because they kind of put them, they're setting up to put the, pit the two against each other um, in the events of the book. And they have probably one of the strongest relationships in the show. So I am very intrigued to see how this ends. and. You know, if they end up doing something where they end up meeting a member of Vox Machina in the future of the book. So no spoilers, guys. But yeah, so I'm really getting into the critical role universe lately. So that's been really fun for me. But what do you recommend this week, Andre? Um, So me and Chris have been really getting getting into Korean dramas on Netflix. And we watched this one. We devoured it pretty quickly, like in a weekend. There's only like six episodes. Um, It's called Hellbound on Netflix. 
And it is probably one of the wildest miniseries that I have ever watched. Um, like every single episode has some kind of twist and it's kind of crazy. It's the premise is um, that this like this like spirit appears to people and tells them that they're going to die at this specific day and time and that they're bound for hell and like when that day and time comes like these like demons appear and like kill them and like it gets turned into um basically like a religious cult like this like offshoot of christianity and there's like this leader telling everybody that this is like god's wrath and it's it's really it's really cool and there's such a giant twist at the end and i'm really nervous because um there's no mention of a season 2 and i'm hoping that they make a season two because I need to know what the hell the last one <laughs> was about. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're looking for, if you've been, I don't know if you've been wanting to get into Korean dramas and you want something that you can get into it with, this would be a great place to start. It's short. It's very compelling. Um, yeah. I'd go watch it. Awesome. Well, if you'd like to stay up to date on what we're up to on the Avatar Hour, you can give us a follow on our social media pages. We're on TikTok at the Avatar Hour Pod. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Avatar Hour Podcast and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And of course, we're always looking for more fandom corner entries. So if you've got any good ones, any theories, headcanons, funny memes, um, you know, your own stuff or taken from the internet. Uh, you can send it our way through DMing us on any of those pages I just mentioned, or you can email us at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. And if you want some more Avatar Hour in your life, then consider signing up for our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month or up to $5 a month, you can access our show notes, ad-free editions of our episodes, Zoom recordings, and much, much more. And if you haven't already, please make sure you are subscribed to the show on your podcast platform of choice and to leave a review. Um, but yeah, that wraps it up for uh, the search part two. We will be back next week with part three. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We will see you next week. And until then, my name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, Bye everyone. everyone.